Welcome to another powerful word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church in the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Let's go to the Word of God tonight. And uh, part two, we're talking about the fear of God. Part two, omission. And I'm hoping to get uh, finished with part two tonight. But let me tell you where we're going to start off, okay? Uh, We're talking about the fear of God, but don't mistake fear and worry. They aren't the same thing. The Bible says don't worry about anything, but that's not the same as don't be afraid of anything. Now, God has not given us a spirit of fear that we should fear you know, our enemies or we should fear our future or what man can do to us. All those things are true and real. But even uh, you know, uh, if we were to have something in the Word of God which says... You know, Jesus said there are some things we should fear, and we talked about those last week. If you didn't get that last week here or else, you know, online, go back to, to uh, uh, February the 2nd. You see about uh, our, our, our last uh, part one, listen to it. It will describe some things that Jesus said. One of the things I didn't talk about last week that Jesus said be afraid of, and the Word of God tells us to be afraid of, he says that we should fear lest a promise being left us by God that any of us should fall short of it. God does not want us to fall short of one promise He has left us. So He intends for us to work in faith. Now, He says that we should fear that we might miss out on something that He really wanted to give us. He didn't say we should worry about it. That fear is a conscious concern that drives us to action. It should motivate us. It should inspire us. It should encourage us. It should hold us accountable. We should have a reverential fear for God. We should have a a, a realization that God is awesome and mighty, and we should stand in awe of Him. But we should also have some concern that it can cost when we choose to disappoint Him. When we choose to not do something that He wants us to do in a way that He wants to do us, in a time that He wants us to do it, then we should be concerned that it might cost something. It might cost someone else something, or it might cost us something. It's exactly what uh, 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 Mordecai said to Queen Esther when she was a queen. You can read about it. He said, listen. I want you to know, if you don't do what God has called you to do, if you don't go and see the king, if you don't take this opportunity, if you hold your peace altogether at this time, well, God will, will cause deliverance to arise from another location. But for you and your family, you will miss out. You know, you and your family, listen, you'll, you, you'll pay for it because this generation of, 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 of Jewish uh, uh, believers are going to be wiped out. Now, God will raise up somebody else, and in another round, in another season, it'll take a little more time, but He'll bring deliverance through somebody else, even though it takes time. But I want you to know that what if, if, if you decide to not have this, this, this willingness, this understanding, that to, to disobey God knowingly and willingly to do something that He doesn't want you to do, to do something that, 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 uh, that you know... Uh, it could cost. And we, as, as, as believers, especially Western believers, especially people who have been baptized in every movement that's come along in the last 40 years, you know, a part of this one and that one and hearing this and that, and so many things that we've heard that it's hard sometimes to delineate between what the Word of God is and what the Word of some preacher was. Hello. It is, I mean, you know, I, I listen to preaching a lot. 
And uh, sometimes I'm going, oh, my goodness. Wow. And sometimes I'm going, ooh, I wish I could get that tape back because he's righter than I was. You know, <laughs> I need to, you know, I mean, we're, we're all constantly learning. But what we have to do is put our faith and trust in the word of God and not in the word of man. That's why it's so important for us to be noble and that everything that I preach to you, you should be having on the inside of you a witness that says yes and amen, not just an emotion that says that feels good or I want that. Okay? But an inner witness of the Spirit that says yes and amen, it rings like gold, and then you go to the Word of God on anything that God you know, uh, uh, leads you to, and you study it out and see what the revelation is uh, you know, in, in, in your own Word. We, God, God is only telling one story. He's only painting one picture. Okay? And all the pieces of the puzzle have to fit that one picture. We cannot allow any one scripture to be the whole story. We cannot allow any, uh, any one doctrine to be the whole doctrine. We must pay respect to the whole counsel of God, not just those ones we pull out of our promise box. You want to put something in your promise box? Put the one in there that says you'll have tribulation in this life. But also, but, you know, he will help you through every one of them. Don't forget that. And also realize that, that, that God is serious. We as Western believers, if we're not watchful, we can know that we don't want to make God upset. We don't want God upset with us, but we don't really think it's going to cost anything if he is. Because we've been taught so much on forgiveness and greasy grace. And I believe in grace. I'm a grace man. I'm a faith man and I'm a grace man. I'm a word man. But if I read the whole counsel of God, uh, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And I'm not afraid that he's going to give me cancer or break my leg. Nothing on that line, okay? I just know that he has given me some tasks to do. And if I don't do it, it could cost me and other people. And I don't want that to happen. So therefore, like the Apostle Paul went from city to city doing what he did, knowing he's probably going to get you know, beat up in the next one, stoned, put in jail. He finally showed up at his last destination. God led him to it and had his head cut off. Hello, but he wasn't necessarily following the message that says, you know, uh, no evil shall befall me. Yes, that's in there, but that's not the only one that's in there. Hello, and we have to balance. And so tonight I'm going to put some things in perspective concerning the fear of God and the word of God that you're going to have to find a balance in and you're going to have to trust God into which one of these places you fall at different seasons for different reasons and for God's needs. We have to turn on our brain. We have to be thinkers and we have to realize that, that God said to Abraham one time, okay, sacrifice your son. And then right down the road, three days later, he said, don't sacrifice your son. Well, which one is it? Sacrifice the son, don't sacrifice the son. Are you schizophrenic, God? What's going on here? You always have to be ready for a fresh word from God, from God's perspective. You always have to identify. Because for Abraham to have denied either one of those words would have been drastic for all the rest of us and for him and for his family. Am I making any sense? Fear and worry are two different things. Let me read to you out of Galatians, uh, the first chapter, uh, of, of 15 and 16. It says this. But when it pleased God, the Apostle Paul is, is, is speaking here. He's writing to the church in Galatia, the region of Galatia. Uh, that's in northern Turkey. He said, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him a core of, of, among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. That means that he, you know, when, when I realized that God was telling me what to do and when to do it and how to do it, I decided I didn't want to get carnal flesh and opinions involved in this. Somebody might talk me out of it. 
you know, because he was surrounded by a bunch of legalistic Pharisees. And so he decided not to confer with flesh and blood. He decided he was going to make a commitment and do it. Now, after Paul heard from God, he just decided, okay, that's enough. But then look at Proverbs. Proverbs has this more than one time, and, it, and, and it's in agreement with the whole counsel of God's Word. It says, For where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So which one is it? Do I not confer with flesh and blood, or do I get counsel? Which one is it? Boy, how many times have you gone to the Word of God and found out, my goodness, that looks like that cancels out that, but it doesn't. My dad came to me at one point. He got, uh, got connected with Jesus and got committed to Christ late in life, late in his life. And, and uh, he came to me and he said, man, I read things in the Bible look like they contradict one another. I said, Dad, keep reading because our goal is to find out how they complement one another, not how they contradict one another because God does not contradict himself and the Word does not contradict itself. It complements. And what we have to do is allow God to paint a picture with the whole counsel of God word, uh, God's Word and then understand it from hopefully a mature, grown-up, well-studied approach and being led by the Spirit into whether today is a day that I need to ask other people their opinion about what God has led me to do or is this a place where I need to just do it? Because other people, you know, if that little widow in, in, in uh, uh, 2 Kings 4 had come and asked me if I thought she should give her last meal to Elijah or... or, 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 or 2 Kings 18, is it? 1 Kings 18 or whichever one it was. 1 Kings 18. If, 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 if I should, you know, do you think I should give my last meal and my son's last meal to this prophet? I'd have said no. No, he's, I wouldn't have said he's a prophet. He's a bum. He's just a beggar. No, don't give your last meal, you know. But she didn't have time to ask anybody else. It wasn't a time for counsel. Because the Spirit of God, when Elijah spoke to her the Word of God, the Bible says it awakened the Word of God on the inside of her. Because God had already commanded her to sustain him. That's what the Word says. Way back, you know, in, in, you know God, command, well, you know, God speaks to us. Uh, tonight, it's my goal to help us find the place where we can stand on solid ground. Whether it's a time for us to ask for counsel or is it a time for us not to confer with flesh and blood? Or where are we on that scale at any one time? How is it that the fear of the Lord figures into what He has called us to do? And how much should we allow other people to speak into that? I was in Seoul, Korea just a few years ago, well, several years ago. Uh, I'm not sure how long, but uh, April and Jake lived there, and I was there specifically for the birth of one of their children, I think. Uh, uh, who, which one? June. She's eight. So this was eight years ago. And the whole family was there, and we were all there, and both of my kids have lived in Korea with the military at some point in their life. And so uh, Korea, uh, you know, Seoul became a, a, a very comfortable place, and I'd been traveling there for decades before they moved there but uh, we as a family decided we'd go downtown eat something or whatever so we're walking around downtown Seoul uh, not uh, through Itaewon if you've been there the shopping district uh, district and and uh, um, there was a man standing with a with a holding up of one of those speakers and he had a microphone one of those little portable microphone jobs and when, when we all walked by him, there was a group of a bunch of us. You know, I don't know how many of us. We walked by him. He looked and he screamed at me and said, you're going to hell. 
He was preaching the gospel on the streets. And his message was, get saved or you're going to hell. I just happened to come by at the time whenever he decided to change it into English. And he just said to me, you know, as I'm walking by, and he's looking at all of us actually, but he said, you're going to hell. Repent. You and you're all going to hell. Well, first of all, we're not all going to hell. We're born again believers in Jesus Christ. Do you know there's not a doubt in my mind at all that God in His Word has told that man to be a witness and preach the gospel. But I also believe he needs to get some counsel. <laughs> he doesn't need anybody to tell him he can't, that, that he can't witness. His friends, his family, no doubt he's under pressure not to witness. And he is just, you know, yeah, yeah. He, don't let anybody tell you you can't be a witness. But listen, if that's the best you got, you need some counsel because you're going to fail. You're not going to accomplish the will of God just by thinking that God has called you to do something. If you don't get something under your belt and let some, I imagine a lot of people have told him, listen, buddy, you don't need to be preaching like that. Okay, so where does he stand? Does he imagine that that is going against his calling or does he imagine that's complimenting his calling? Well, you know, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of things that we have to wrestle with every day, especially when we're dealing with eternity, when we're dealing with, with, with our souls or the souls of our family and friends. Yes, God wants you to be a good witness, but what does that look like? You know, some, maybe we need to get some help every now and then. Maybe we need to listen to some counsel, but we don't let anybody, don't let anybody talk you out of what God's called you to do, but you might want to get some help in how to do it, you know, or you may not. Well, hopefully, we're going to end tonight uh, with, uh, with understanding, you know, a little more about where this place is that we get to every now and then. What do I do about what God said? And what do other people think about it? We're going to start tonight by, by looking at Abraham, and we're going to end up looking at Moses. Uh, Abraham and Moses had some of the same problems, by the way. They shared a similar dilemma. Uh, um, you know, should I do exactly what God said, only what God said, the way God said? Should I listen to other people uh, and allow them to add their opinions to the mix? In other words, how much should we allow other well-meaning people to weigh in on the call of God on our lives? Let's look at Abraham first. Genesis 11 Verse 31, I'm going to go through this very quickly. I'm just going to leave you to read the rest of it, okay? Uh, because that, that'll be a great adventure for you. Genesis 11:31. And Terah took his son Abraham, Abram at that point. Abraham, we're going to call him Abraham tonight, and, and so it won't get confusing. And Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, what, what does this mean? Well, this is a long story, and I'm kind of getting you started a little after the beginning, but we'll have a flashback in a moment. Okay? Abraham, at this point, was probably about 50 years old. 
okay? uh, as best we can understand. Whenever he left Ur of Chaldees, whenever he left Mesopotamia down south of, 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 of southern Iraq area, uh, you know, and he walked up into what is now Turkey, in the edge of Turkey and Syria, where Haran is, where the headwaters of the Euphrates are. And, and the best as we can understand, Abraham spent about 25 years in Haran with his daddy, Terah, with his uh, um, other family and some servants and, and Lot, who was his, his, uh, his, his brother had passed away, with his son and also with Nahor, another son of Terah. Spent about 25 years there. He went with his father. Now, the Jones Dictionary of the Old Testament's proper names tells us that Terah, Terah was, was Abraham's father. Remember, Terah said, let's go. And he took Abraham and Nahor and Lot and Sarah and the gang, and he went about, oh, it's about 600 miles or so. And he went and stopped in a city and named that city after his son that passed away, Haran. And Abraham spent about 25 years there with Terah. And the word Terah means delay. Delay. It also means to wander. Okay? Like you're wandering around instead of no certain direction, you're wandering around. It, it's even likened to an old billy goat. That is kind of an old goat that just kind of wanders around from place to place and just, you know, it's kind of a little bit wild and everything. But that's what the, the old biblical name means is like a wild mountain goat that's often foolish and distracted and wanders around and wastes time. Terror to delay. Now, Genesis, the 12th chapter, I'm going to just read through this a little bit. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country and, 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 and from your family. Verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, departed from Haran. And uh, Abram took his wife Sarah and, his, and, and, and Lot, his brother's son. Now follow along with me here. God told Abraham... I want you to leave Haran. Remember, he's been there for 25 years. He went there with his daddy, old delay. Okay? He'd been there 25 years. And God said to him, listen, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave this place. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And so uh, he, he gets Sarah and also he gets his family. And his daddy died. He gets it. Once delay died... God spoke to him and said, come on now, I got a place I want you to go. Yeah, he's 25 years older now. So he goes on over to a place called Shechem, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, Abraham did not strictly do what God said do. Abraham almost obeyed God, but he ended up taking Lot with him, his nephew. God said, get away from me, family. Well, how important was that word? Well, I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to tell you that if you continue to read Abraham's life, for the next 25 years, and in fact for the rest of Abraham's life, Lot was a plague to him. He had to keep rescuing Lot. Things kept happening with Lot. Lot was a problem. Lot is still a problem. Because Midian and Moabites, they came from Lot. 
the greatest enemies that, that, that existed to the Israelites, to Abraham's descendants, were Lot's descendants and still are today. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, how important was it that you get away from your family? Well, we don't know. But it was very important, evidently, because not only did, 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 did Lot go with Abraham, but for the next 25 years, the promise of God did not come to pass in Abraham's life. Abraham had to wait an additional 20. He spent 25 years with delay. Now he spent 25 years with disobey. And it's not until Abraham is 100 years old that Lot leaves Abraham. God separates them, blesses both of them so much that they separate. And that's when Isaac is born. The promise of God finally comes to pass in his life. Whenever things get right, when all the, you know, Cards get in line, dominoes get in line, stars get in line. Whenever we get finally everything like God said, boom, here comes Isaac. Now, to me, that's, that's, that's kind of amazing, you know. Uh, 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 and and uh, let me show you something about this story that you won't read in Genesis. And many Bible scholars may not include, but in 1982... 1981, I saw this and began to study it out. Let me take you back, because we don't find out about the whole story in the book of Genesis. Uh, the account that we are given, however, in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, from a man named Stephen, who in the next few minutes is going to be stoned he gives us insight into something that Genesis does not tell us. Look what he said. This is the point when, when Stephen has been arrested and pulled in, lied about. They've hired people to lie on him. And he's pulled in and the high priest says, give an account of yourself. So he starts telling the story. Man, anybody ever give you a chance to talk, go all the way back as far as you can and tell the story. That's what he's doing. He went all the way back you know, to, to, to Abraham. Uh, Acts 7 verse 2. So Stephen said, hey, brethren and fathers, listen. <laughs> this is a man full of the Holy Ghost and power. He's about to see Jesus standing right hand of the Father. He's about to yield up his spirit. They're going to be chunking rocks at a dead body because he's gone. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Iran. Genesis doesn't tell us this, that God's glory appeared to Abraham Back in Mesopotamia, all it tells us about that is that Terah said, hey, let's go with, you know, let's, let's go. We aren't told in Genesis that the glory of God appeared to him. We're told that God spoke to him 25 years later in Haran and said, leave. But we aren't told he spoke to him 25 or maybe 30 years earlier. Perhaps when Abraham was about 40 or 50, the glory of God appeared to him when he was still in Ur of the Chaldees before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and away from your relatives. My goodness, he spent 50, 60 years doing what finally God had to do it for him. And get, get out of your country, get away from your world, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, when old terror was dead, when delay was dead, then, then he moved, uh, then the, the God moved him into a land where he now is. Interesting, huh? 
where we now dwell. That's just amazing to me here. You know, uh, that, there, that, that, that there can be such a delay in life, such a terror, T-E-O-O-R, such a terror, such a terror as delay. And, and uh, you know, uh, we cannot know for sure how much time it cost. We cannot know for sure how many other quantities of God that it cost for Abraham to not obey God when he did. We don't understand the whole story yet, but we're given enough through the Word of God to put this thing together that, 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 you know, uh, that, that God said do it this way. And you know, I mean, Terah could have been the one that, that, that finally God used to get Abraham up and going. We don't know. Or it could have been that Abraham waited so long to go that he ended up being encumbered with more and more things. I mean, we don't even know if he was married to Sarah before God, you know, God could have showed up to him and said, come on, let's go, let's get going. And, and Abraham's waiting around, don't know what he's going to do, you know, not doing anything. And finally, maybe, maybe he talked about it for five years or a decade. And Terah finally said, boom, my son just died, Haran just died. Come on, guys, you know, we're going to leave this place. Come on. And that could have been the time when they looked around and said, okay, well, who, who's going with us then? You know? And we get all the people going. And, and, and so Abraham here is just delayed another 25 years. And then he takes Lot and delayed another 25 years. And then, uh, you know, uh, I find this to be interesting, by the way. And not only that, but Stephen in his discourse connects Abraham to Moses. In Acts 7, a little few few verses down verse 34 he said i have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in egypt i have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them now moses come moses i'm going to send you to egypt just like god said to abraham when he was in mesopotamia Get away from your family. Get over to the land of Canaan. I got something. I'm going I'm to make you a father of nations, many nations. His glory appeared to Abraham. Well, Abraham didn't do anything, and he finally went, but he was delayed. And he finally then disobeyed. And then he finally, after everything was in line, you know, maybe 50, 60 years later, sees the promise of God fulfilled in life. It could have been quicker. My, my imagination, it's reasonable for you to imagine that God is putting this in here so I can say, okay, you know, maybe, I, maybe, maybe there is a time that we need to obey God. Maybe there is a calling. Maybe there is a time that we need counsel. But maybe there's a time that we just need to do what God said do and quit beating around the bush and quit hedging ourselves and quit trying to protect ourselves and quit trying to hold on to, you know. Sometimes you have to fully let go of one thing before you fully get hold of another. It's just the way it works. Not every time, but sometimes. You know, and so here God says to Moses, you know, uh, come on, come on now, I'm going to send you down to Egypt. Let's... Let's now go to the scriptures that I wanted to start with tonight, but I was concerned if I just read these scriptures, you wouldn't have enough background or there wouldn't be enough in my notes for those that are just note readers so that they would be able to get the full squeeze out of this. Sometimes you have to lay a foundation before you can build on it. And the foundation is, is sometimes we need counsel and sometimes we just need to do what we know God told us to do and quit letting other people talk us out of it. Okay? And you're going to have to be the one that decides when that is and how that is. That's your adult responsibility. That's your relationship responsibility with God. Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse 19 and 20, 24, 26. Uh, verse 19. Now, the Lord said to Moses in Midian. 
Now remember, Moses is 80 years old at this time. Okay? He's been in Midian for 40 years. He ran away from Egypt when he was 40. He was born a Jew. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was kept secret until, you know, as long as he could be kept hidden. And then he was put into a basket and pushed out into the river. The, 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 you know, the daughter of Pharaoh found him. You all know the story. And then uh, his mama nursed him along the way the daughter of Pharaoh knew that he was a little Jewish boy because he was circumcised. That's, uh, that's understandable. That was the difference, okay? And so here, you know, uh, uh, he, he, he becomes the, you know, the, the, the grandson of Pharaoh, as it were, you know, and learns all the arts and all the languages. And the Bible tells you all the wonderful things he learned and did and how smart he was. But at 40 years old, he had to decide whether to stay there uh, and, and, and probably be executed for having killed an, an, an Egyptian or else run. He ran. So for 40 years, he's been up in Midian. Uh, living with the priest of Midian, not Jews, okay, uh, not uh, not descendants of Abraham, descendants of Lot. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, "Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead." Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land. That means he went on his way to go to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Verse twenty-four. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment. This word encampment is like an inn. It's like a hotel. Okay, they stopped along the way at this, you know, uh, motor inn. Okay, or camel in, whatever it was. So they're stopped, uh, and it came to pass at the, uh, on the way, on their way to Egypt, at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now, if that doesn't confuse you, I don't know what does. Here, I mean, God says, Moses, get down, go down into, you know, Egypt, you know. So Moses, you know, we, we, we don't know how long he took, but he had to take a while because he had to pack for the kids and the wife and had to get the wife. And he had to tell the wife he's going. She probably said, I won't go too. And he said, well, you know, uh, you know gosh, I don't know whether you're going to go or not. You know, I don't know. Well, come on now, let me go. I don't know. Okay, okay. Well, come ahead. Okay. So, so they wait and they get everything ready. I don't know what all took place, but they got the house, you know, taken care of and said bye to the, you know, and, and I don't know how long it took, but they, then they were going, they're moseying on their way. They even have to find hotels along the way. So they found them some hotels to stay at. And when they were at one of the hotels, evidently God got upset. I mean, God was evidently upset about something. God just don't show up and want to kill you. Come on now. Get, uh, let's get real. Let's get real. that These are people. Just like me and you. You know, uh, ev- you know, evidently there was a problem. Evidently God was not happy with something in this mix. And there are only three elements in this account that God deals with at this moment. So it has to be either one or a combination of all three of these elements that God was not happy about. Because when these elements were taken care of, God uh, you know, said, okay, fine, boom, go. Everything's fine, good, great. So let me show you what these elements are. I mean, uh, you know, the first element is it, it's evident that Moses didn't leave when God told him to leave. There is a timing issue. There are so many things that are timing issues with God. Everything. I mean, you look at an acorn. It has a, uh, the power given by God to create a whole force. But if it opens up in the wrong time at the wrong place, it's wasted. 
But if it opens up in the right place at the right time, a whole force. Isn't that amazing? Same power of God, but timing and position and placing is so important. It's important to God. You know, it was to Esther. It, you know, it, 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 it just can be. The first element is evidently that you know, Moses d- didn't leave on his journey whenever God told him to. Number two, the second element is evident. It's, it's, it's just evident that God did not tell Moses to take his wife and sons with him. Now, I don't mean to cast any problems over, over, over family, but let's look at what happened here. Let's read the whole story, okay? Let's look at what happened here. We don't know all the reasons why God didn't say, take a bunch of people with you. We don't know all the reasons why God told uh, uh, Abraham that. But let's just imagine, you know, uh, uh, it it could be like today. Sometimes, you know, and you're in a foreign country right now and you want to come to America, you know what they do? They generally, many times, in some countries, they make you leave some family members behind to make sure you don't come here and get too comfortable and stay here. They make you want to make sure you go back there and, you know, see your kids and your wife. That, that's just, I mean, today that happens, okay? We don't know, uh, but people are not often granted permission to leave with everything they got. You know, perhaps, and it's at least imaginable, that if Moses took his wife and his uh, children down into Egypt with him, he could have got comfortable down there and just stayed there and lived. I mean, that's, that's not beyond our imagination, and we should try to understand these things. We shouldn't just let these things just, just pass us by. A second thing, perhaps, as well, is that, that it's imaginable that Moses' wife or children could have been threatened, kidnapped by Pharaoh, held for ransom. You know, I mean, God could have fixed all of this, but maybe God didn't want to deal with it. Maybe God didn't want it messing up anything. Maybe God had enough to deal with. We don't know, but we do know that God didn't say take them, and we do know that that's one of the things he remedied right there because... They went home right after this. Interesting, huh? Back up to verse 24. It came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill Moses. That just make me plumb afraid. Many scholars imagine an angel showed up like him to Balaam and, you know, and, and laid him out or was about to kill him or he had some sickness or some disease, but evidently he was laying down and couldn't get up, couldn't do anything about his situation or his problem. And then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a husband of blood to me. Now it's also evident that Zipporah is kind of mad and angry. Okay? I mean, God's upset, and now wife's upset. I'm talking about no wonder Moses laying down going, okay, just kill me right here, God. Just kill me. I mean, if you're mad at me and my wife's mad at me, go ahead, take me out. Okay? Because that's exactly where he was. Couldn't do anything. And what happens? Zipporah, Zipporah sounds to me like she's having some anger fit here. She done got mad. Something, something done happened. Something, something done connected with her. God trying to kill my husband. And, you know, that's the third element. The third element here is the realization that Moses has not circumcised one of his sons. Evidently, he circumcised one of them, but not the other one. Probably the oldest one was circumcised. And if we want to imagine, we could easily imagine that that may have been a very traumatic experience for Zipporah, the mother, that the husband was a Jew. She wasn't a Jew. He was under the law. She wasn't under the law. He was circumcised. They didn't do that. And at eight days old, you did this to my baby. You ain't doing it to the next one. No, crying all night long, that ain't happening. No doubt it could have been a pretty good argument in the family for a lot of years because Moses is now 80 years old, and these aren't just little babies. These are grown men. 
I don't know how Sapporah was able to get the, you know, get that son to, to agree to this, you know. But anyway, she throws it at his feet. There. There. I'm going to say this, not my words, not his, not, not hers. There. Take that. Okay, you win. Well, at that, God did a couple of things. Moses was okay. Boom. It was over. God didn't want to kill him anymore. Number two, Zipporah and the kids went home. We don't see her again. She wasn't in Egypt. We don't see her again until the 18th chapter whenever Jethro, her daddy, brings back after Moses already led the children out. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes there's some things that, you just, that, that, that need to be done a certain way, and God wants it done a certain way. And when it's not done a certain way, you know, God can get a little bit frustrated at times. You know, he, 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 he's, he's not wearied, you know. Uh, we, well, we have seen him be wearied. He was much wearied because, uh, you know, of, of the people a few times. But, but the reality is, that whatever happened here in this moment, it's so confusing to scholars. I can't wrap my mind around it. It is very, very hard. So I've reached into it and dug it. And I've, I've, I've read things about, you know, uh, you know the, 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 but she wasn't a Hebrew. She wasn't uh, even familiar with the Hebrew language. She didn't have the history or the heritage. Some of the things that she said, she didn't say in Hebrew. She had to say that in, 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 in her language. And it was, you know, uh, what, you know what is it? What changed? What changed is Moses went right then and met Aaron. He got to his job. He didn't have to worry about anything else going on around him. He didn't, I mean, he wasn't distracted. He absolutely got it done. He got it done. It was a difficult thing to do. And then he came back out and God put the family back together. And then they went on and his sons became leaders. And, you know, and, and everything worked out like God wanted it to work out. But he just needed to work out. Sometimes God wants it done like God wants it done, when God wants it done, the way God wants it done and sometimes it's okay for other people to weigh in and change a little bit or, or help a little bit in fact whenever Jethro the father-in-law brings the family back Jethro is a priest of Midian and he sees what Moses is doing in the 18th chapter of Exodus and he begins to say Moses listen let me tell you something now, uh, these people are going to wear you away. What you need to do is divide them up into groups of thousands and, and, and hundreds and fifties and set captains over them. Jethro is telling Moses how to do God's business. Moses has God. He also has Aaron with, with, the, with the ephod, with the, with the stones, and tells him direction. You know, I mean, he has plenty of counsel from God, but yet Jethro was used by God. God will even use a donkey sometime to give you counsel. He, used Je he even lose your father-in-law sometimes. Even a priest of Midian spoke to him. And Moses said, great. And, and Jethro said, if the Lord will allow you to do this, you need to do it this way. Told him how to lead these couple of million people. And Moses implemented Jethro's wisdom, and God blessed it. Sometimes we need the counsel on how to do what God has told us to do. We don't need God, we don't need people uh, you know, uh, telling us, you know, you can't do that if God told you to do it. It doesn't need to agree with the word. It doesn't need to agree with the spirit. It doesn't need to agree with the one story that God is telling. The one story God is telling is a story of redemption, and every scripture has to be interpreted in light of that one story. So don't let anybody rob you of the call of God on your life, but you may need some help along the way on how to make that happen. And someone else, 
a donkey, a father-in-law, a mother-in-law, a spouse may speak into that from time to time. But you have to be well aware whenever it is the voice of the Lord to you and it's time to do something. And you need to make sure that you don't compromise, as the Apostle Paul said. You know, when I heard from God and I knew I'd heard from God, I didn't go looking around for other people's ideas because they might have talked me out of it. You see, the lawgiver, Moses, could not be the lawgiver and not follow the law. And the law was that his son, both of them, were to be circumcised. How could Moses go down into Egypt and bring the children out and give them the commandments of God and tell them to circumcise their children on the eighth day and his child not be circumcised? God was not going to let the lawgiver make a public and blatant display of disregard for the very law that he was pledged to bring to the people. Let's not teach one thing and do something else. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.